Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Welcome to Small Business Digest on Blog Talk Radio. Now entering its fifth year, this show is hosted by Don Mazella, Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Each week he brings you advice and information from experts and small business leaders like yourself. Each show is designed to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas from authors, experts, and small business leaders, just like most of the individuals who make up our audience. Whenever possible, Small Business Digest tests the products and services featured on the show to ensure they are of a quality to help listeners grow their small business. Guests do not pay to appear, but are chosen for their ability to provide ideas and suggestions to improve operations, expand marketing, reduce cost, enable better personnel management, and add profits. Remember, all of our shows are archived at www.blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. You can hear this show and all others at your leisure. If you like what you hear, tell others about the program. If you have a question or suggestion, email us at editor at is-incorp.com. Should you want to join us on this program during our live hour each Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, dial 646-929-2337. That's editor at is-incorp.com or 646-929-2337. We're only as good as our guest and audience make us. I'm particularly happy today to today to have Vicky Oliver joining us. Uh, several years ago, uh, Vicky wrote uh, a really great article for us uh, uh, on, on seven things pe- people should do to be a better people manager. Well, um, it, it's been what we call an evergreen, an article that people continually uh, uh, reference. Um, and interestingly enough, over the last six months, it be, it's become our most popular article again. And uh, as a result, we uh, invited her to come back. And she, uh, in turn, said, well, she has an eighth one. So welcome to the program, Vicki. Uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself, your website, and just about anything else that will help our people, uh, people, our listeners understand uh, a little bit about you and what you're about to talk about. Okay, thank you for having me back. I really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, my name is Vicki Oliver. I have written five career development books. Um, I, the first one was called 301 Smart Answers to Tough Interview Questions, but I've also written a book called Bad Bosses, Crazy Coworkers, and Other Office Idiots. And I think everybody has probably met one of those along the way. And part of my uh, research and interest lies in helping people just become better at what it is that they do. And I think part of becoming a better manager is to actually become a better people person, just to be better with people. And so I put together some tips about how to do that, how to be a better people person so that people like working for you and with you. Keep on going. Okay, keep on going. All right. So um, I started by thinking, like, what, how does somebody become a good people person? And I feel that the number one tip that I would offer is to act enthusiastic. And I would say, even if you're not, even if you don't feel enthusiastic, I think it helps to put yourself in the mode that you're going to act enthusiastic. Um, I feel like passion is one of those great qualities that's very underrated, and it's important to feel passionate. So if you hear an idea, you know, like, give it the benefit of the doubt and say, wow, you know, that's, that's interesting. I'm really interested in that idea. Tell me more. You don't want to just dismiss an idea. You want to be open-minded towards it. So, for example, if somebody says, 
you know, an idea, you just say, you know, that's really interesting. Thanks so much for telling me about that. Thanks for sharing it. Tell me more. It just gives somebody, like, the open, the green light to go ahead and talk to you. And, look, later, if you don't like it, you can always reject the idea. But at least you're trying to get the person at their best. And people like to be appreciated. And when you act enthusiastic, it makes them feel like you're listening to them and you're open-minded to their thoughts. Vicki, can I interrupt you here and tell you, when I originally uh, uh, read your article, it it really hit home with me. Uh, I sight read. And as a manager, uh, someone would hand me a a document, and I'd look at it, and since I sight read and absorbed in things, I immediately turned to them and said, well, let's talk about it. And uh, I never realized how much it turned off people because they, they, they had worked so laboriously on it and then here i took 10 seconds to look at it then said let's talk about it and uh, it wasn't until a subordinate told me uh you know why aren't you going to take the time to read it and i said i had read it but they didn't appreciate it um you were so right and it hit home so hard with me you know, I think this is actually, I just want to take a quick um, departure here and say, I actually think you're really right, because that is often how one's ideas get looked at. It's a, it's a reality that people look at something very fast, and they make up their mind, you know, within, like, less than a minute, the way you did on those ideas. And that's just a fact. I mean... Uh, Malcolm Gladwell has talked about it in his book called Blink. People make up their minds in less than 60 seconds. It's an unfortunate situation. But as a manager, you don't want to give off that vibe to the people who work for you. You want to give them consideration. And part of that is, you know, having an open-door policy and being able to make the time to look at something and give it serious consideration. But it just strikes me that the way you sort of could look at something and know instantaneously that it's very real, you know, and people should know that also. That is a fact. Another uh, I would. I have, I'm sorry, go on. Please no, no, please. I, I wish I had read your book, book twenty years, uh, twenty years ago. It would have helped me a great deal. But please go on. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I have been looking forward to our converse, conversation because I, I, you have helped me, and and I, I know you've been helping the other uh, uh, readers. Thank you, Donald. So another another tip that I have is I would say. You know, check your baggage at the door. So everybody has, like, really bad days, right? Like, you know, maybe your wife yelled at you that morning or, you know, maybe your kid is not doing well in school. I mean, everybody has kind of bad days, and they walk into the office, you know, feeling badly about something that might be happening in their personal life. You know, maybe it could be something like they didn't get any sleep, something very modest, but... When you go inside to an office, you just have to sort of separate yourself away from the other pressing concerns in your life. So, you know, you fought with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, whatever. You know, let's say your train was late. Whatever it was, you just have to leave that behind and kind of get into the zone of being at the office and being professional and leaving that that baggage away because otherwise you're sending off these vibes and then people, you know, people can feel them. Like they may not know what's going on in your personal life, but they can feel it. They can feel it by looking at your face, you know, the way your shoulders are sagging that morning. When you walk in, you just have to say, I am leaving it behind. I'm going to have like a good day. I think that's really important for being approachable as a manager. Uh, couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I once had a boss that we always always knew when his wife had hollered at him about right. how right. he walked into the office. Yeah, and I, I mean, I had many bosses who, you know, they would come in with sort of a chip on their shoulder, 
And then I would, you know, working for them, I would sometimes make the, you know, cardinal error of asking them, like, is something wrong? You know? And it's just, it's just a weird thing. Like, you know, you're at an office to do work, and even though we live in a 24-7 environment, you know, where the Internet is there all, all the time, we just cannot let the 24-7 aspect invade our moods in the office. You want to be at, you know, neutral. I would say you want to be neutral to kind of on the happy end of things at work if you can. You just want to block the negativity of your other things going on out. So, you know, if your mother drives you crazy every time you talk to her, tell her not to call you at work. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> oh, how how true you are. <laughs> Please. Just saying. <laughs> Um, another another tip of mine in terms of being, um, you know, getting along and being like a better people person, which I think is a key ingredient of being a good manager, because after all, you're managing people, right? Um, I say another tip is, you know, to try to realize that social media is social. So occasionally you want to have, like, even if it's a professional network that you've built up on social media, occasionally you want to share, like, something that you're thinking about, an article that you think is interesting to people. You just want to realize that social media is social. Now, I happen to feel that um, a great thing to think about social media is that I, I try to think of my social media acquaintances and friends as people that I might one day meet in person. You know, I don't know every single person at this point who's on my social media, but I always feel like there is the possibility that it could lead to an in-person networking experience with that person. So when I'm on social media, I just try to be, you know, I try to have like a, a, a demeanor that's professional, engaging, likable. So, for example, I personally think that people should not post about politics. I just don't think that they should. The reason being that half the country is Republican and half the country is Democrat. And so no matter what you post, you are going to annoy half the people who are following you, you know. So I try not to post about controversial topics. I try to stay away from politics and just think of media, social media, as being social. It's almost like you're at a cocktail party. You don't want to get into an argument with somebody when you first walk in the door. That's that's very true. Well, but um, can we just stop and I'll ask you a question? Uh, you you mentioned parties, but um, to me, the the worst party in the world is the Christmas or uh, the uh, uh, the picnic, the company Christmas party or company picnic. Um, I've heard more disaster stories there than any place else. Could you? Right. Uh, um, uh, you know, you a boss brings his family there, and uh, or her family uh, nowadays, or her family, and uh, uh, you, you know the family is not attuned to uh, the workplace. And right. Lisa, what are your thoughts there before we get back? Because I want you to go through it's the whole list. It's funny you said this because I actually wrote an article about office parties as well, which you obviously haven't seen, but it's like funny that you're actually keying into like one of the things I always say about them, which is don't bring your family to the office party, you know? <laughs> don't bring your boyfriend, girlfriend, family, husband, wife, whatever, sister-in-law to the office party because then you have to worry about them. You're worrying about these other people who have nothing to do with your office, and it's just—it's like a strange vibe to be mixing people from your family with people from the office in that kind of an environment. It's so funny that you said that. I, I'm not a huge fan of them either, but I, I think, you know, one should treat them as a business event. So, for example, the Christmas party seems far away right now, but the Christmas party, like I always say, you know, don't dress up as if it's a real party because it's, a, it's an office party. You want to be professionally dressed, right? You don't want to wear something that you would necessarily wear to like a cocktail party that a friend of yours throws. And you don't want to bring guests 
to it. You want to work the room and talk to the people. If you are a manager, you want to talk to the people that you manage. And if you are if you are a worker in, in a company, you want to talk to your bosses and stuff like that. Like, take advantage of it. It is an office event, first and foremost. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, uh, I belong to the Union League Club, and sometimes and we host company events. And and so, sometimes you see people walk in with the most inappropriate outfits, and you just sit there and wonder. You know, it's a business event. But the, uh, the the women are spilling out of their uh, dresses, right. and the uh, it's uh, and for women it's much more difficult than men to choose the appropriate attire, even even in today's world. Do you agree? Right, right. And I, you know, one of the I mean, I also write um, articles and tip sheets about, for example, job interviewing because. My first book is about job interviewing, right? 301 Smart Answers to Tough Interview Questions. And I feel like a lot of times when people are going on a job interview, especially women, I hate to say, but but everybody, they tend to be – like they don't want to be interviewed – so they're dressing for the thing they're going to do after the interview, right? Maybe they're dressing for the date after the interview. Well, that's a big mistake. You know, don't multitask, like dress for the job at hand, right? The job at hand is to get the job. So you want to go Correct. to the interview dressed that way. Again, uh, you're, you're so so right. Um, um, let me ask you this question. Um uh, on this uh, on this subject, what uh, what do you do about the eating situation? Uh, I've just found out that the, the Columbia Graduate School of Business requires now that its uh, students take a course on eating etiquette. And, uh, oh, do you want to comment? Yes, I want to. Com- First of all, I wrote up another book. It's called Three Hundred One Smart Answers to Boy. Tough Business Etiquette Questions. And I, a third of my book is about eating. It's how to eat because it is unbelievable, but people do not know how to use forks, knives, and spoons. It's incredible. And if you don't really know how to master your utensils, you can't go to a business dinner and order spaghetti, right? Like spaghetti. I'm just going to talk about spaghetti. Spaghetti, you eat it with a spoon and a fork. Right? You don't just twirl it on your fork and hope nothing splatters. Like, that's what a spoon is for. Right? And people don't know Mm -hmm. this. You know, they don't know how to eat. It's like the most basic thing, but they're not taught how to eat properly at home. They don't know, like, which, where the glasses go, like, where your wine glass goes. They don't really know that. Mm -hmm. They don't know about, for example, bread. So you need to pass the bread. If, if it's not put in front of you on a bread plate, you need to pass the bread around the table, you know, <laughs> these types of things. You're supposed to tear a piece of bread, like small pieces of bread. You tear, and then you butter each individual, like you, you butter it as you go along. Nobody knows how to do this, right? They just don't know what they're doing. And it can be very embarrassing. And the problem is, like, a lot of times, like, a, an interview will take place over a dinner, and somebody is, like, tearing into their bread and, like, stuffing their mouth and eating with their mouthful and checking their cell phone, God forbid, right? And that type of behavior tells your future employer, oops, we can't send this person out with our clients because you can't be a great ambassador for the company if you don't know how to master your utensils. And, you know, while it's very basic to learn, a lot of people just didn't grow up that way, right? They grew up, like they're looking at their computer while they're eating dinner with their parents, right? They don't know how to eat. So before you go out on a big, important dinner, I would say, like, pick up an etiquette book and learn, like, at least the basic things, you know? Like, what do you do if the waiter ignores you? Or you're sitting with a client over dinner and another client comes in an hour late. Like, what is the proper protocol? People do not know what to do. Like, you're supposed to, you know, even if you're eating, you're supposed to stand up 
when somebody walks in like an hour late to your business dinner. Just stand up, shake that person's hand, and then sit back down. Mm, so so true. Let's get back to your list of people managers. Uh, uh, we're having a far a range, a far ranging inter interview. Um, uh, but again, let's get back to your list. Okay. Because I okay. uh, certainly people are finding it fascinating. Okay. So another tip I have for being a better people person and a better manager. I, I call this like cultivate your acquaintances. Now, a lot of people don't really realize the value of acquaintances because we tend to think in terms of, well, I either work with this person or I, uh, I you know, or I'm married to this person or I, I'm friends with somebody. And people think that acquaintances are just sort of like minor, minor people on the fringes of our lives. However, Acquaintances are actually the people who many, many times make things happen. They make things happen. It's very it, – another way of thinking of an acquaintance, this is not my terminology. Some people call acquaintances like weak links. The weak links meaning that these people are not really friends of yours. They're just people. Maybe they're friends of friends or an acquaintance of an acquaintance. These are your loose group of acquaintances can be very very valuable. Uh, if you're looking for a job, acquaintances are usually the people who put you in touch with the job that you end up getting, not friends. Acquaintances can let you know about all kinds of opportunities and expand your reach like exponentially. And, you know, fortunately, we live in an acquaintance-driven world now because Facebook, it's really, for example, it's really about building a network of acquaintances. LinkedIn, it's about a network of acquaintances. Take advantage of those networks and try to build your acquaintances up. Just try to do it because think more opportunities will happen and will come your way. Maybe you're a manager and you're looking for somebody to hire the person that you're looking for, it's likely to come through an acquaintance of yours that knows an acquaintance of theirs. That's the most likely way. So it's really good to have, you know, there's no limit. You can have thousands of acquaintances. You don't have to pay them a lot of attention, but they're there if you need them. Couldn't agree more. Please continue. Okay. We have all the time in the world as far as we're concerned. We're, I'm being selfish because the, all this is really good advice for our listeners. Okay. Well, the next tip makes me uh, laugh because here I've been doing nothing except talk on this show. But in spite of that, the next tip is listen harder and actually talk less. So everybody loves to talk about themselves. And that's just a fact. People love to talk about themselves, you know. And one just easy way to become a better manager, a better people person, is to just make it a habit to try to listen more than you talk and try to, you know, be, as we talked about earlier, be a little bit empathetic and be a really good questioner. If you, you can lead people through things, oh, tell me more about it. Oh, when did you first have this idea? Like is another sort of conversation opener to make the other person open up. Especially if you're a boss, you know, try to listen to the people who work for you because if you, if you give the vibe that you will listen and you won't penalize them for telling you the truth, you're going to find out more. You're going to find out more that way than if you give the vibe that you don't want to listen and you're going to penalize anybody. You know, you don't want to kill the messenger, you know. You want to listen and let the messengers come, be able to come towards you with valuable information. Uh, absolutely. There's uh, there's an um one of the techniques they teach you in sales, uh, sales training is to um, uh, find ways to make the, the prospect talk. The more he or she talks, the better your chances of closing the sale. Absolutely. Um, because people like to do business with people that they like, you know. The truth is a lot of people, a lot of workers, a lot of office managers are talented at what they do. They're talented at what they do or they wouldn't be, be being paid to do it. 
So what ends up happening is the people quotient becomes more important because everybody is talented pretty much. They're within a range of acceptable talent. And so those who end up becoming leaders are just better, you know, with, with humans, with people. Um, I mean, it's not on this list. Oh, I guess maybe it is. It's not on my list exactly, but I would also just say, well, it sort of is. Another tip is to just, I'm calling it practice circumspection, which is don't bristle. Like if you get negative feedback about yourself or the company's performance, you know, you don't want to like frown and, and look angry because that frightens the person from disclosing. You want to have the environment where it's okay to fail, but to fail upwards. So, you know, if something fails, okay, it failed. Now we have to improve on that. You have to fail upwards, and you have to give that vibe to people, or they won't be truthful with you. So That's if very somebody true. comes in and they have a bad meeting, let's say they pitched a client and they didn't get the client and it was really terrible or whatever, you don't want to just say, oh, that's horrible, we're having a terrible year, you know, get out of my office. And let me. You don't want to do that. You want to get to the bottom of it so that the next time around you can improve on it. Part of being a good manager is being, like, able to take in information, negative or positive, and then figure out what to do with that information. So if you're closing yourself off from negative information, you're not a good manager. Uh, absolutely, but you you brought up an interesting point, which uh, resonated with me at a uh, at a, um, a board meeting I had on uh, Monday. Why is it that uh, so many people, uh, especially in the upper ranks, when even though they fail, they still get a better job the next time around? Um, the, would you want to comment on that, or uh, yeah, is it how they feel? Please. I, I think Vicky. the reason is because tenacity, having kind of a certain persistence, is also a really good skill. It's not just about being able to solve today's problems, you know, or to be able to be a good people person. I think the other, you know, the other third of it is being tenacious. And so somebody who has already, let's say they've been at the top, they failed, they're out of a job, well, that person is also tenacious. They're likely to get another job. It's like tenacity counts, and it helps. It's not I don't I don't count it towards being a great manager. Not maybe in this conversation, but in terms of just life skills that you want to have, I think being tenacious is right up there. You know, being persistent. I mean, we're talking about managers, but I mean, for example, entrepreneurs. The average entrepreneur fails seven times before they succeed. And so to be able to do that, they have to have the tenacity to go back and say, okay, that one failed. Now I'm going to try this business, you know, or this plan. So tenacity is just a great, great life skill to have. If you don't have it, I mean, I maybe start with boxing lessons or something. <laughs> try to build it up within you. Well, let me ask you this one. Um, uh, looking at great leaders like uh, Steve Jobs and other people, they they have vision uh, and uh, they they lead um, in varying ways. But what is the do you think is the key people management uh, tool they had that makes them great leaders? In your opinion, it's hard to say, it's hard for me to say with somebody like Steve Jobs because. There is a brilliant person, you know, whose talent level is, you know, this is not what I was talking about before where I said everybody's talented, you know. I mean, this is like a genius person with genius ideas. And so I don't, I'm not sure what uh, his personal management style was, you know what I mean? I don't know if, I, I doubt it was like to be a real people person. But for the rest of us, I would say, You'll get more. You'll get more, co you know, cooperation and camaraderie and people pulling for you. Like when you're in a company, you want the company pulling 
for you, not against you. That's why it's so important for you to become a people person and have everybody kind of like you and pitch in. And if you can't solve it, like, let them solve it, you know? It's like as long as somebody solves it on the team, you're all going to be doing better. That that's very true, uh, you know. The, uh, uh, that's our that's our uh, our next guest. Oh. Okay. Oh, one second. Well, guy's a persistent guy, but uh, he's calling in for next week. Wow. Are you there? Yes, that's tenacity. Yeah, exactly what we're talking about. Exactly but let, what we're um, talking about. That's persistence. Um, he called three times, and, and um, unfortunately, my uh, engineer is not available today. Uh, so people are listening into how a program works. Vicky, we're right. coming to the end of, of okay. what I, I found a fascinating um, uh, half hour. Um, uh, can you uh, briefly give us? Two two critical elements you think are important for a sm- particularly a small business leader to have in order to be a people manager. I would say you know the the first tip that I gave today, which is like act enthusiastic even if you're not. I think will open you up to more positive ideas. And then the last tip I gave, which is practice circumspection which is to not slam the door when somebody gives you bad news. If you open yourself up to more good ideas and you don't slam the door on bad news but can get through it and to the bottom of it so that you can learn from it, I think that will help you become a better people person and a better manager. Can you? Uh, do you have a website and how people can reach you? Yes. So my name is Vicki Oliver. It's D-I-C-K-Y Oliver.com. That is my website. There's more information about all my books on my website. They're available. They're in bookstores and on Amazon. And um, I'm available. You know, people can reach out to me also through my website. Well, uh, Vicki, it's been fascinating. And uh, I, I so enjoy it. I think we could have gone uh, a whole hour with you. Uh, Thank you. Uh, but but well, uh, we're, I was just about to say, what <laughs> we're going to do is have you back and and talk and we'll talk some more. And okay, again, perfect. your website and your book. It's VickiOliver.com and my books, 301 Smart Answers to Tough Interview Questions and Bad Bosses, Crazy Coworkers and Other Office Idiots. Thank you so much, Vicki, for an extremely enjoyable time. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay, you too. Thank you. Bye. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Our next guest uh, I'm really looking forward to. She's Mika Yamamoto. She's Chief Marketing Officer of SAP. And she's here to discuss uh, something that we hear a lot about, but I, I frankly am um, depending on her to explain a little bit more digital transformation and what it means for small businesses. Mika, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, as we ask all our guests, before we do anything else, tell us a little bit about yourself, Mika, the background, et cetera, and how you got to where you are now. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'd say that my uh, small business roots started early. I was the, you know, the child of a Japanese immigrant, and he was a small business. My dad was a small business owner. My mom was a small business owner. And so I watched my dad, you know, do his all of his books on his abacus um, as I was growing up. Um, he'd close the books on his abacus, and then I watched him actually go through a journey of eventually buying a computer and eventually, you know, taking some of his business online as I, as I continued to progress and watch his business grow. Um, and then, you know, years later, I ended up going in and, and legitimately diving into the small business space by uh, becoming a Gartner analyst uh, and covering the small and mid-sized business space, doing primary research for them on predicting trends in the market, 
then went to Microsoft and did some product management and the Windows group for small and mid-sized businesses and some channel strategy for that market. Um, then went into the consumer space for a while, um, and then over to S with uh, you know with Microsoft with Amazon, and then came over to SAP. And what's been great about the culmination of those experiences is that the consumer the consumer experience has been great to watch how we can you know drive scale among small and mid-sized businesses. But um, tying all that together is uh, is you know presents us with a with a great opportunity um, to be able to help small businesses today. Well, um, you, 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 you and IBC, SAP and IBC, have done a new, a new survey, and it's about digital transformation. My first question, as, as I said, is what do you mean by digital transformation, and what did this survey uh, uh, tell you and can tell us? Absolutely. So, you know, digital transformation essentially is the journey that companies of all sizes go through to take advantage of the, you know, the technologies that are out there to, you know, that are driving the hyper-connectivity and that are, um, that are, you know, taking advantage of, you know, mobility and is taking those technologies, whether it be software, whether it be hardware, taking advantage of those technologies to, you know, better reach customers, to better serve customers, to better process or manufacture goods. Um, and to overall, you know, drive efficiencies and, and effectiveness in how in how companies run their run their businesses, especially small businesses, um, and then how they can make better business decisions because they're doing so. And so we we engage we engage IDC last November in driving a study to truly understand how small and mid-sized businesses are thinking about technology. I mean, it's not it's not like a you know digital transformation is a is a daily word that. Um, that's used around the dinner table or even, you know, in a lot of meetings among small and mid-sized businesses. But what is banted about is, you know, how do we take advantage of the technology out there today to be able to, you know, improve how we can meet our customers' needs, improve how we can, you know, run our businesses and make better better business decisions. And so we went to uh, to launch a study among, you know, among 3,900 small and mid-sized businesses in 13 countries across multiple industries to really understand and ask them about, you know, what do they consider when they're making business decisions um, tied to technology? Um, what inhibits them or, or slows them down or concerns them about making, you know, making using technology to be able to help them with their businesses? And really seeing where they were on the spectrum of considering, you know, using technology to drive their business, which essentially is, you know, digital transformation. So, so tell us some of the results of this uh, study. You know, I think that the most outstanding result um, is that, uh, you know, that most of the companies, uh, you know, 50% of the companies were saying that marketing was their biggest potential in terms of leveraging technology to be able to drive their business. And so, um, you know, and that's fed by the fact that all you know most stated as number one is that customer acquisition was their number one um, goal or um, business priority for them. Whether you know whether we're across multiple um, countries, across across all the industry segments that we studied, and across the enterprise size segments, um, you know customer acquisition was number one in terms of business priority, and therefore. Um, you know, marketing and marketing automation type tools from a technology standpoint, they saw was the biggest, you know, they saw biggest potential um, in terms of taking advantage of those technologies. Well, well that's interesting. Um, obviously, uh, we're using technology today to, for smaller companies to get into business. Um, but, and, and as you can say, uh, marketing, but uh, also the, Aren't we also using it to do a lot of the functions and use that before we had that one or two people on staff, now we can do it almost automatically? Yeah, we can do it automatically. Small businesses specifically can do it automatically, even if they didn't have those one or two people. So, um, you know, examples are when you have a front-end solution that might involve e-commerce and might also involve, you know, some light CRM tool and also marketing automation, a company actually could, um, a small business company can actually know their customers, use data about their customers to inform how they buy in the future, what types of sales or promotions they might actually 
um, put on in a given time to be able to uh, reduce their inventory in a specific area where they might be high in inventory, and then be able to see buying patterns among their customers where all that information before and data wasn't necessarily tied together for them, and so they didn't even have the one or two people to do that just because it was it was a complex set of items and processes that were necessary to take advantage of that information, so they never had it before. So it's both, you know, taking advantage of processes and, and tools to be able to um, use those, you know, to be able to use people better, but also be able to do things that they never could do before. Well, uh, you're with SAP. Um, and SAP, I always think of as a big company tool. Uh, uh, how is SAP involved, and what have you learned from the survey to apply to SAP? Um, you know, SAP is a really huge company, and we do, um, you know, we do serve, and we're most known for serving, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Um, but 80% actually of our of our of the companies that we actually do business with and that we help in their digital transformation, help them take advantage of technology to be able to improve their business value and and value to their customers, are actually small and mid-sized businesses. So 80% of SAP's customers are small and mid-sized businesses. And they're leveraging, you know, they're leveraging lots of different solutions that we have, whether it's time and expense management or analytics or helping them run their, their you know, supply chain. Um, we, you know, we help, we help customers um, and small business companies, you know, in over 150 countries uh, with, with small business solutions. And so this insight really helps us to be able to be very customer focused. I mean, as a small and mid-sized business-focused team, we're you know customer-obsessed. We want to understand you know what's motivating and driving the business decisions of these customers, so to make sure that we're now and in the future able to meet those needs and and ensure that you know every person that um, that works at um, you know, a small at a small business can um, can see the most value out of the data that they have within their company. Um, that um, that the business can make the best business decisions possible, um, that the company you know, can understand its customers, and most importantly, here we realize that you know marketing um, you know marketing has the biggest potential from a technology standpoint because customer acquisition is really important. So that informs us in the type of data that and tough functionality that we build into our products now and in the future to make sure that again we're adding you know we're adding business value and helping customers run. Run, um, run more simple, um, and uh, again make better business decisions. Okay, well let's go. Let's go dive a little deeper into that. Um, uh, what, uh, I'm a small business. I'm uh, I'm I'm trying to uh, sell widgets, um, or in the case of a someone I interviewed uh, uh, yesterday, um, uh, 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 wedding gowns. Uh, what what can my technology tell me uh, that can help me uh, do a better job? Well, I mean, in terms of wedding gowns, I mean, there's, you know, and if we're talking about a wedding gown, um, you know, manufacturer and seller, um, there's multiple ways that you could find out great information um, to be able to help your business run better. If you're talking about, you know, front end from a customer standpoint, which is, you know, again, where most of the focus for small businesses is, is you can start to see um, information about how your customers are, um, you know, how your customers are, you know, using your website. You can get aggregate information about what types of um, what types of search results people are actually searching on for wedding dresses. You think, I mean, that that information is now accessible to small businesses. And when you have a website, for example, where someone can enter their information. You can then have a point of contact, and you can have a conversation and start having a relationship with, um, with a you know a, a, a bride, and help that bride with her journey in in making the you know one of the a huge decision in her life, um, and then you can establish that relationship in a way that you at scale that you probably couldn't do before just if you had a phone and a and a and a and a, um, and a shop, um, you know physical brick and mortar shop because you have the ability to reach customers that are. You know, far away. I've known some, you know, some brides who have looked, you know, at the UK and sourced their their wedding gowns in the UK online, and that that extends the reach of the small business to be able to access more customers and have a relationship with more customers just because they can get their digital information and connect with them. 
But then once the purchase is made, um, what they can do is they can take a look at all their purchases and see how they can um, and see what's, what's actually being bought. Is it all the high-end dresses that are being purchased? Is it all the you know middle of the middle middle of the road dresses that are being purchased? What are people looking at? But what are people buying? And they can compare and contrast that to be able to both design their website. So if some people are looking at the really high end dresses, but build you know, but really buying the middle of the road dresses, they can they can actually buy less fabric for the high end dresses, buy more fabric for the middle of the road um, middle of the road dresses. Um, if in fact that's the place they want to be, or they can think about how they might position their high-end dresses differently and do some testing on if they position it differently on the website, you know, does it sell more high-end dresses? And those that type of testing, um, you know, is possible now to a small business, whereas, you know, in the past it was really complicated, it was really hard to um, to be able to manipulate your website experience, it was really challenging to extract and connect all the data that you would get about your customers. and so. Um, you were almost you're using your gut as a small business owner and some of the data and cobbling it together, but now those insights are more readily available. Well, I threw you a curve saying the wedding uh, dress, but you did a wonderful <laughs> job of explaining it. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, I have um, someone listening in, and they they uh, sent me an email across my uh, desk and said, um, "What is an abacus?" Oh, what's an abacus? So, it's a. <laughs> did you did you answer it? For, are you gonna you answer it online or? Well, no, no. I'm gonna. Uh, our audience will will like to know as well. If, if you know, I mean, I can describe it as a an, an ancient Chinese method of uh, doing complicated mathematical uh, and record keeping. Um, but on um, perhaps you know a better answer. Um, uh, I'll. It's just it's an old tool, but uh, it's amazing. I'm I'm a lot older than uh, a lot of people, and uh, uh, sometimes when I teach a class and I mention something, uh, my class, the, the students look at me with a blank face, and I realize they don't really know what I'm talking about. In this case, uh, an abacus is something we don't see in much anymore. And we really don't. I'm, my my dad still uses one, actually. Um, you know, he, he's actually done a, a pretty massive digital transformation, but he still falls back on his abacus every so often. And so an abacus is essentially, a, you know, a, a before, before um, we had computers and electricity, it's essentially, uh, you know, a calculator. It's a, for, you know, it's a calculator that, um, that was used in Europe and, and China, Japan, Russia, um, back in the day when, you know, again, there wasn't electricity, there weren't calculators, but it was a means of, of um, but it was a means of, of calculating and tabulating um, with, mm. with, some, with beads that essentially sit on wires, and if you slide them up or down, um, is, is essentially the, the position of the bead on the wire um, within the rows actually, you know, is an indicator of what, um, of what the result is that you're calculating. We're talking with Mika Yamamoto. She's with SAS. She's Chief Marketing Officer of SAP, and we're, we're really glad to have her today. Um, before we go, um, Amika, if I may call you that, um, what are some of the other um, results of the survey that you'd like to pass on to our audience? I think that what's amazing to, um, you know, I think that, that what's what was really surprising to us was, um, you know, it was great to see the focus on the customer. Um, what was actually encouraging for us to see also is when we were asking um, small businesses who had adopted some technology to start transforming their businesses, they were actually pleasantly surprised to see that it actually wasn't as challenging as they thought um, it was going to be. Um, and so I think that there's a notion that um, a lot of the solutions um, out there to, you know, either drive your website, drive marketing automation, or run your back end from a, from a supply chain standpoint are, are complex. I mean, we run into that as SAP, but the, you know, the, the really the, you know, the solutions that are out there now are actually designed for small businesses in mind. And so, um, you know, small businesses are realizing that the use of these, this technology is actually easier and that they were able to realize the value that, that was promised to them in a much simpler way than they previously thought. And so I think that, that was, that's, I mean, it's nice to see. 
Um, I think technology has definitely come a long way where functionality has been simplified. The ability you know, to be able to leverage solutions in the cloud means you don't need a lot of infrastructure. Um, you don't need a lot of people um, you know, in, your, in, your, uh, in your environment or in your company to have to uh, do a lot on the back end. From a technology standpoint, you just need to understand your business. And because a lot of these solutions are more affordable, because they're a lot more simple, they're more accessible to small businesses now more than ever. Um, and it's just really encouraging to see that small businesses are realizing that and giving feedback to say, hey, you know, I thought it was going to be a lot more complicated, but it's not. Well, um, um, did you ask them about the money question, about how, uh, uh, whether uh, doing a, a digital transformation um, or some of the decision criteria, particularly in terms of money? Um, you know, we didn't specifically ask about money. Um, in terms of, you know, if you had a, you know, we, so we didn't specifically ask, you know, percentage of funding allocation um, to two areas. Um, what we did ask, though, is, you know, what were they considering or concerns or benefits that they were considering when they're thinking of investing in the cloud specifically, for example. Um, you know, and, and I think this ties to money is that, you know, as they talk about um, things that they, you know, things that are driving cloud use of, of, you know, of applications is the fact that now they have the ability to integrate their current applications, their current environment into new functionality, whereas that wasn't, that wasn't possible before. Um, and, you know, also tied to efficiency and money is now they feel like they can, they can expand um, their resources so they can do more with the people that they have, whether they're IT people or whether they're sales people, marketing people, or shop floor people, that they can actually do more with those individuals by leveraging technology, um, that they can add new functionality, add new users um, in a lot more simple way. So things have become, they can, they can run a lot more efficiently. They can, you know, see more growth with their customers, um, and, they can, um, and, they can, and they can do so in a way that wasn't accessible to them before. We're talking with Mika Yamamoto. She's Chief Marketing Officer of SAP. And people wanted to learn more about the survey, about you, about SAP. How do they do it? Well, they can, you know, there's obviously, there's our website, that sap.com. They can go into our small business area and look at what solutions we have. Um, they're more than welcome to actually reach out to me personally. Um, you know, mika.yamamoto at sap.com. I'd be happy to, uh, to answer any questions or, um, or, or talk about SAP to, to any small business out there. Um, will you spell out your last name? I can spell it, but uh, maybe <laughs> no problem. doesn't. No problem. It's uh, so M-I-K-A dot Y-A-M-A-M-O-T-O at sap.com. Okay. Mika, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I, I know I've learned a lot, and I hope our audience has as well. Thank you. Don, thank you so much. Don't, don't hang up. Um, I won't. Are you there, Mike? Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with other guests invited to help you, our audience, improve operations, expand marketing, reduce cost, enable better personnel management, and add profits. Remember, all of our shows are archived at www.blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. You can hear this show and all others at your leisure. If you like the show, tell others about it. Want to make a comment or be a guest? Email us at editor at is-incorp.com. Your host was Don Mazella, Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Until next time, keep faith with the ideals that made America great. And remember, small business is still the backbone of commerce.